This is The Lonely Office, your playbook for navigating the messy line between work and life. Our topics are sourced from real anonymous workplace conversations happening within Glassdoor communities. From AI taking white-collar jobs to talking politics at work, we discuss timely work-life issues so you don't have to brave the professional world alone. So Aaron, what bubble to the top of Fishbowl and Glassdoor this week? Well, apparently we have a divorce on our hands, but it's not what you think. So we're going to use different names here because it's anonymous, but Tabitha thought her work marriage to Brandon would last forever, Matt. Oh, work spouse. She and Brandon were almost like work soulmates. They worked on projects together. They had each other's back. They came up together in the same department. Even after they both went to a hybrid work schedule, they could count on each other. This sounds like a marital relationship until... (laughs) Until this is where things take a turn. One day, Tabitha's scrolling through LinkedIn on a work from home day, and she sees that Brandon posted an emphatic criticism of Black Lives Matter. Okay. She's stunned. This post, by the way, lots of emojis, lots of exclamation points, (laughs) lots of capital letters. She's looking at this LinkedIn post. She realizes she can't do what she's historically done in the past and like his post. This made the next few weeks really awkward for Tabitha. She wasn't herself around Brandon, and he started to notice something was wrong. Brandon sends a Zoom invite to check in about a project deadline, but he leads the meeting by saying, Tabitha, are you all right? She goes, yeah. Brandon goes, I feel like something is off. Does this have anything to do with my LinkedIn post? Oh, so he knew. (laughs) Then Brandon takes the conversation to a place of no return. And he says, I noticed you didn't like the post. Tabitha sighs. At that very moment, her work marriage had come to an end. What a way to start. This is something you've heard about before, though, right? I feel we had the same stories and threads pop up on Fishbowl during the COVID pandemic era, right? When the George Floyd murder and the BLM stuff erupting, and it's replayed all over again, just with the backdrop of the conflict, obviously, in the Middle East. Very polarized issue. And I'm not surprised that we read so many stories on Fishbowl the past week about this. Okay, I have a few thoughts. I hate the whole work marriage, work husband thing. Okay? Right. I hate that the whole expression is ridiculous. And now you can see in the story... I love that you're saying Tabitha doesn't really know Brandon, does she? They have this big difference of opinion, and she had no idea. Also, I would like to propose an episode on the Facebookification (laughs) of LinkedIn. Otherwise known as LinkedIn cringe. Yeah. I think that Gen X and elder millennials are like, ah, Facebook is so, it's all boomers now. I'm going to go to LinkedIn and then just post like the exact same things. Right. Right. (laughs) It's not really what we signed up for from a work perspective. And I think when Donald Trump was running for office, there was a big shift in how open people were to talking about politics really openly at work. Obviously, you have conversations with people Mm -hmm. over lunch or whatever, close friends at work about what's going on in politics. But generally, people were making the assumption that everyone in the room agreed with them. There's been an ongoing shift and people just being Mm -hmm. like, this is what I think. And if you don't agree, then you're wrong. And it does make it difficult then for people to work together when they find out that actually someone isn't on their side. Particularly when you can't get the context you might normally have gotten in the IRL real world scenario. You go out to that lunch break or that coffee break and you can get some of that context that may make you empathize. 
But I'm wondering, too, if that's fueled or sparked by the acceleration of hybrid and remote work, where now new lines of communication and things like that are being opened. This is really uncharted territory. I think from the organizational perspective, we talked about this a lot on the show. We had an entire show topic dedicated to this idea of like, bring your whole self to work and employer or boss telling you to speak <laughs> up, speak your mind. And we know where that sometimes can take you, not necessarily to good places. So right. the topic of discussion of politics at work there seems to be a bit of conflation or maybe confusion between what's politics versus social issues. And mm. here, for instance, is one poll, according to a Harris poll, 70% of Americans say they would support company-wide policies that limit discussion of politics in the workplace. That's oh, like wow. a strong majority. Yeah. And then closer to home, in a Glassdoor poll, 60% of U.S. employees believe that discussing politics at work is simply unacceptable. Mm. No mincing words there. Full stop. Full stop. What's interesting is, and we talked about another commonly cited poll called the Edelman Trust Barometer poll on the show too. And this is a poll that I think organizations and companies probably take cues from more than the Harris poll or even Glassdoor poll. And when you look at that poll, it's the same results, but flipped. So when it comes to our expectations of our organizations and our CEOs on whether we expect them to take public stands on societal issues... According to the Edelman Trust Barometer poll, almost 80% of U.S. respondents believe CEOs and businesses should be weighing in on issues of inequality, discrimination, climate change, you name the social issue. You see what I'm saying about there's a bit of conflation or confusion? What's politics? What's social issues? And if you ask me, it's hard to take a stance on a social issue that's not politicized, whatever it is. If a COVID vaccine, and whether you took it or not, was politicized. It's almost impossible, right? So when I see these results, when one case, 70% say no politics at work, and the other case, 80% of them say we want our CEOs to talk about these social issues, it's clear there's a lot of confusion. And what it suggests to me is that maybe we, the employee, want to have our cake and eat it too, right? We want to see ourselves when viewing our employers, identify some of our own core values within their values. But as a practical matter, when things get messy, when we have to engage with them on topics or issues that we disagree with, we don't want to have anything to do with it. Yeah. And to your point, Leah, it's almost as if we're looking to follow our coworkers and CEOs almost in the same way we would follow our influencers on social media. I think that's why this is erupted on Fishbowl. I really do. Let's jump into this. What's the deal? Do we think organizations should have black and white policies on the discussion of politics? It's so hard because there have definitely been situations where I wanted the company to speak up. And then for whatever reason, let's say the person in charge was not the right person to be talking about whatever the topic was. They didn't have a nuanced take. It seemed like they're reading from a script that they didn't really understand. Their actions don't really reflect what they're saying. Then you're just disappointed and frustrated, right? Mm. I've worked on a few Pride Month campaigns with a lot of people who are really passionate about it working in the background. And then it's really difficult for them to see social media posts of people being like, did a gay person even work on that? I think you're right about the have your cake and eat it too. We want to know that the companies that we're either working for or buying from think the same way we do, but we don't want to actually have to engage with the people we work with on an ongoing basis and nuanced conversation about politics. One thing I want to put out there, Matt, before I go deeper is do CEOs, do companies 
do they have to respond? I came out of college looking for a job in 2008 when there were no jobs. In the 90s, you could walk down the street and get a job by accident. And in 2008, I'm living in Mad Max's world looking for a job, right? Anything for like $28,000 a year, I think I'm killing it on my way to the top. (laughs) A lot of people at different positions in that journey are like, if I get a job by X bank or X corporation and they might not feel the way I'm feeling, I got mouths to feed at home. I got a mortgage to pay. This to me smells a little bit of privilege. I really don't like the way that that CEO is talking about when you're weighing between what your company thinks politically and you paying the mortgage, easy choice. Do you feel like maybe it's just a very vocal minority who are like, we need to say something, you need to say something, and then you're kind of damned if you do and damned if you don't? I don't think it's a vocal minority. I think what it comes down to, I mean, the data kind of shows this as well. This particular survey within the Edelman Trust Barometer is done every single year, and it almost is always within the 60-80% range, which is U.S. workers want their organizational leaders, their CEOs, to chime in on these social issues and to take public stances. So to me, it's not a matter of vocal minority. It's like whether it's your issue at stake or not. And I think it's understandable, right? Because our prison to work now has become one where we do identify ourselves and our values or we try to identify ourselves and our values or emissions with the company and sometimes with the CEO directly. And then the company or the CEO fails to espouse or advocate for something that's really important to you, you feel cheated. I do think that it's very difficult for CEOs to skirt this. I mean, Leah, have you seen this? The way things have played out the last two weeks, I feel really bad for CEOs in the sense, and I'm going to cry me a river, right? (laughs) (laughs) They're pretty much in straight jackets and in trying to appease every single party with their statement. If it goes one shade of difference too much this way, somebody's mad. If it's that way, the other person's mad. They got to phrase the perfect statement to appease all parties It has been really interesting to read like, oh, this person's in hot water because of this controversial statement and you read it and you're like, that seemed like a pretty neutral, nuanced statement. We're talking about CEOs and leadership having or feeling they have to take a stand on a particular subject and then citing the evidence or at least the polls that you are, Matt. Isn't there a clear difference between a perspective and an action? Why is it that the viewpoint seems to be so important to folks rather than the action. If you all recall, I think it was two years ago, the CEO of Basecamp, fairly popular project management software. It's a startup. Jason Fried instituted two policy changes. One of them was, in an absolute manner, deeming societal and political discussions unacceptable, basically no longer allowed in our Slack threads or Teams threads. And the next day, one third of his employees basically resigned. And so it goes to show you that there's always a contingent of your workforce that holds those social values as a core part of who they are, you want to be able to empathize with that. And I think CEOs want to minimize tension to remove that ingredient from what otherwise would be a productive workforce. That's what's in it for the operator. Matt, you said, okay, show empathy. And I'm with you. I think that's a great tactic to ease tension. But sometimes, Leah, didn't you say you've seen it? I've seen it. There are CEOs who are attempting to show empathy, but because they are not specific in their viewpoint, they're still getting destroyed. They're diluting their message because they're trying to appeal to a very broad base opinion and in the process diluting the message and losing authenticity points with their employees. I have a similar story to Brandon and... Tabitha. Brandon and Tabitha's story from earlier. You got to make these names easier, man. (laughs) I think I can... (laughs) 
I think they were announcing the hiring of like a new head of DEI. And someone jumps in the chat in an anonymous chat. So it was like in Teams or Slack and calls BLM, I think, a terrorist organization and basically criticizes the person who's been hired. Was it all caps? It was like in all caps, very inflammatory statement. And then a lot of people started piling on. All of a sudden, there's a big conversation in the anonymous chat. They shut down the anonymous chat. And then later, when people ask about, who is this person? What's going on? They're like, oh, it's been dealt with. I was like, whoa, now I feel very uncomfortable because this was supposed to be an anonymous chat. Not that I agree with the- Did a band come by and pick them up? Yeah. It also makes you wonder if we're bringing these kind of conversations on a global or national or whatever town hall in a place with zero nuance, which is like an- anonymous chat where people can write in 200 character blocks or whatever. Call me a skeptic, though. I I don't think it's possible to have that nuanced discussion in that digital forum. I feel like on the show, the ongoing recurring motif is work from home and remote versus not. And like, do we return? And ever since I did that TEDx talk, I've been getting some emails from people saying, why do you support return to office? I want to be clear, if you watch that video, and if you hear any of this show, I'm not an advocate of return to work, particularly five days a week. But when it comes to this particular issue, I think this probably falls in the cons camp of the discussion, trying to breed empathy and give context in a remote environment. When I first moved to New York City, after my university days, the workplace was an amazing medium for me to encounter people owning different perspectives on culture, politics, particularly sports, because I was from the Midwest. And unlike college, I feel like college is more like your social media feed. It was a bit of like those people were around you, but it was so easy to fall in line with the fraternity or with the people who thought like you. But the workplace, you didn't have that option, right? When you go in the workplace, you have to work with these people. And for me, that was a really invigorating and elucidating experience where not only was I exposed to different viewpoints, but now I was actively interacting with them in ways that I wasn't during college. I just wonder now where if you're going to have any of those conversations, and we saw in the story of Tabitha, basically she got sent a Zoom meeting to share this, or you're going to a digital town hall thread on Slack (laughs) or Teams. I don't know how it's possible to have a discussion on politics in a digital town hall with all the limitations that it comes with. I think it was also interesting that Tabitha didn't bring it up right away. She was like, you know what? I'm just going to move past this. But then obviously Brandon wanted to hit it head on. I think she was attempting to go, hey, this is what I thought it was, but I'm going to move forward with this. That's the workplace for me. I empathize with the Basecamp CEO in the sense that, look, to me, work is like the subway. And in the five years I spent in New York, Matt, you get on the subway, you don't know what you're going to get. And you got to just survive stop to stop. You get on, everyone just goes into a meditative state, and you freaking survive the train ride. That's work. That's the office. When you go into that office, it's drawing from all that diversity. And the reality is, we all have different opinions. But how do you navigate that? What you don't do is depend on a digital infrastructure and comment threads so Stuart Butterfield, the founder of Slack, great is, last on, name. Yeah, is, is on record. I mean, Slack is described as a work productivity, work efficiency communication platform. It's about doing work faster, briefer, and eliminating dialogue, if anything, eliminating context. So I don't think any of us, when signing up for Slack as a workplace productivity tool, signed up for also having these 
discussions on the platform in digital town halls on Slack and Teams. Companies, and these are mature companies, try to hold these type of town halls, whether it be the Microsofts or the Metas of the world. And then after the fact, complain, it became a shitstorm in there. Well, what do you expect? <laughs> Lay, would you agree like the big winners here to me in this new environment of using these tools to communicate on sensitive topics? It's the PR team, PR communications. Prior to this, their medium, the channels they were limited to were public press statements, maybe occasional emails. Now bring in Slack. When we're in person with someone having a conversation about something, there are boundaries that apply to the things you say and how you act and whether or not you actually properly listen to the other person that's speaking. And those boundaries just don't exist online. I've had lots of really nuanced, impassioned conversations with people in person. But then when you, you know how it is, when you go on the internet, there's zero context. They say nasty things. I get eviscerated about a Taylor Swift TikTok, so I don't know. I'm like, okay, nine months pregnant. Do I have the energy to engage in XYZ conversation online? Probably not, because people are nuts. Are we digging our own graves? What was designed to be a medium for more open self-expression has become a medium for surveillance. The promise of the meeting was that we can communicate with each other more openly, liberally, freely. Now we're so hyper-conscious of what we say. It's also a tool of surveillance, right? It's really easy for someone to jump on what you say because you don't you necessarily don't have the context to provide. We're digging our own grave by over-relying on these tools for stuff other than tweeting. And on top of that, it travels so fast that there is no way to contextualize things. We even see things happening right now when people are trying to decipher just actual facts about occurrences happening with this conflict. There are news sources that have been credentialed for decades who are going, oh, we thought it was this. And because it's moving so fast, it's so hard to vet that information. Then you get on the same platform and try to talk about that information that's already not verified, and there's no real boundaries to have those conversations. We're f you ask most of these CEOs and operators, they're not inherently political in the sense that's not good for their business model, but they realize that they have to engage some of these issues because their employees want them to engage. So let me ask you this, because I want to bring it back to the main discussion. So is this a losing proposition, again, to just have politics in the workplace or for those organizations that aren't willing to take an absolute mandate? Do they outsource the decision or crowdsource it to their employees mm. and do a California-style referendum? <laughs> Leah, as the California resident, I think you should start there. Not a big fan of the referendums, but that's not a crazy idea, Matt. I like that, actually. Let the employees decide. Kind of almost mirrors sort of like a federal mandate and then sort of a republic let the states decide kind of deal, right? Right. <laughs> yeah. Here's the fear that I have is like, how are they going to conduct that? Is it just through email? Or are they going to have a digital forum oh, to do it? A digital they town see hall. What you vote and then is that publicized? And then is that person oh, no. fired? I think it's a great point, and I think it actually takes us full circle to round this out. Leah, you talked a lot about Tabitha and how she reacted. The story is more from Tabitha's perspective of reacting to Brandon's post on LinkedIn and going, whoa, that was out of character or something I don't agree with, seemed inflammatory, or at least it seemed something out of turn. And she dealt with that shock by really, I think, being graceful about it, not saying anything. She didn't report him. She just moved forward. The only analogy that comes to mind here where you have such contentious polarizing issues between two parties and those two parties make some type of headway on not resolving it, but understanding it. If you go back to the 90s and the early days of interfaith dialogues, these weren't digital forums on the internet at the time. 
you have representatives from the different, in this case, faiths or backgrounds or cultures come in and try to align on where do we agree? Okay, this is where we disagree. And you walk away coming, at least we agree here. And that empathy starts simmering stuff down. I don't know how you do that in the workplace town hall forum. If you're only enabling a remote version of discussion around this topic without any in-person, I actually think it's a conflagration scenario. It could actually be incendiary and cause more issues for your workplace rather than be helpful. I've dealt with this on YouTube. The comment section is the wild card here. Yeah, the comment section and the algorithm. Your message might get sent out to a bunch of people that agree with you or are just relatively reasonable people. Or it might go to some little weird part of the internet that you weren't even aware existed where everyone hates you. There's that part as well. You've lived that. You know what I've always found funny about the comment section is there's this belief in society that the comment section is where you have discussion. No, the comment section is the bleachers and Wrigley Field. When you're in one of these in-person town halls, which I've been to in my past, people come prepared with questions they want to ask. And even when there have been submit an anonymous question or submit a question in advance of the meeting, it's not employees in the audience screaming at each other in response (laughs) to what someone's question was or what someone's comment was. Here's my anonymous question. It's addressed. Few people may raise their hands or go speak to their managers later about how it was addressed, but it's all in a very measured. The only reason why I love podcasting is because there's no one that can comment. <laughs> no, and, and here's why, and I mean that respectfully to listeners here. I encourage listeners right now to go back into the Glassdoor app, right, and start a thread and say, heard this episode, had my thoughts on this. Aaron's solution or Matt's idea here was way off track. Here's what I would suggest. That's amazing. But here's the difference it's that time. It's the time to reflect. The immediacy is the issue. The immediacy plays to the worst parts of our nature, which is reactionary. How many times do you have a fight with a spouse or a loved one? When you work it out, what do you do? Two or three hours later, after you cool off, you're like, I'm so sorry. I was out of my mind. I didn't eat all day. I was hangry. <laughs> Quick question. We can end it here. Leah, if they were to have, let's say, Matt's interfaith example, it would be a curated talk about pick your taboo topic, right? Or your controversial topic. You had two well-known, respected voices from the different perspectives, or maybe two or three, right before it gets rowdy, but doesn't turn into Jerry Springer. And what we have here is a moderated conversation. You can attend it, but you can't comment. You can't respond in the moment. And then maybe later on, there's a place where you could submit an email Or something to HR, right? I think it's a good idea. It's one of those things where you are going to get people who dial in just to show that they were there and work through it and don't pay attention. But if they don't care enough to pay attention, then they they probably shouldn't (laughs) be paying attention anyway. And also, Aaron, to piggyback on what you said earlier about ruminating on things, Matt, did you imply earlier that you were in a fraternity (laughs) in college? No, I was not. I've been ruminating on it since then. I'm like, was Matt in a fraternity? <laughs> anyway. It's called the World of Warcraft. Oh. We were in the same club. Way so to go. Sad. I didn't know that about you. Let's talk offline about that. You guys could talk about it during your, you know, Dungeons and Dragons club <laughs> meeting or whatever. When it feels like work, my gut tells me, Aaron, that's not going to be very productive or impactful. Really? Yeah, because when the workplace is, I think, at its most impactful societally speaking, it's when you encounter all these people that you wouldn't have otherwise encountered, work with them, 
and then start digesting their backgrounds and their experiences and using it to form your oars. I think that's the part. We talk a lot about the remote lonely office here. There's pros and cons. This is, in my mind, solidly in the cons camp. And I hope I don't hear from (laughs) the folks who've been emailing me, say, you're going to get us back in the office and you're with the CEOs. But I honestly feel this falls in the cons camp, just having learned from my own experiences. So to end, I'll just say anybody listening right now, clearly you can talk about this on the Fishbowl app or the Glassdoor app and continue the conversation. Also, if you want to see Matt's TEDx talk, it was great. Go to TEDx, the YouTube page, and then look up the title, Is Return to Office Vital for Survival? It'll pop up there. Matt, it's only been up there for a month, but it's pushing 10,000 views. And clearly there's some comments happening in the comments section we talked about. So if that's your thing, please check it out. Hey, you made it. Thanks for tuning in to The Lonely Office. If you like what you heard, follow us on all major podcast platforms so you don't miss an episode. And make sure and tap five stars and leave a review. I know everyone says it, but it actually helps others like you discover the show. Remember, the topics you hear us talk about on the show are sourced from Glassdoor communities, where professionals are having candid conversations about their careers anonymously with others in their industry. To be part of that conversation, download the Glassdoor app. And when you're in the app, make sure and join the Lonely Office Bowl. That's where we are. When you're there, you can suggest a topic idea or an episode idea, or you can make it more formal and email us at thelonelyoffice at glassdoor.com. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.